Welcome to the Checkable Health Podcast, where we're helping everyday moms rethink how their healthcare begins at home through healthy living, access to information, and technology. On each episode, we interview healthcare providers and experts on topics that affect us as mothers as we raise our children. We'll cover topics across the spectrum of health to bring awareness of important issues, conditions, therapies, and technology. We believe your healthcare begins at home with us moms. The healthier we are, the healthier our loved ones are. Hello, everyone. This is Patty Post, your host of the Checkable Health Podcast. I'm continuing the series with plastic surgery and aesthetics. Uh, it's something that is a really one of the biggest growing, fastest growing opportunities in healthcare. And it's all cash-based service, but there are so many players out there. And so I am in the series interviewing facial plastic surgeons that are really, really experienced in the areas of plastic surgery. And today our guest, Dr. Levine, is in facial plastic surgery. She's also a board-certified otolaryngologist. And I get with her to talk with her about her practice and about aesthetics and um, plastic surgery. But I also am very interested in her as a professional. And as being a double board certified surgeon, she owns her own practice and then now she owns her surgery center. It's very curious about how did she create this wonderful career, but then she also has two daughters. I think it's really unfortunate how many women will get into, they'll get into the workforce, they'll get through their studies and then they'll fall out of the workforce because they want to pursue being a full-time mother or they want to pursue being a mother and don't believe that they can have both a, a demanding career and being there for their children. And I think it's really important to understand that a lot of it comes down to prioritizing and where are we spending our time and exercise of how are you putting your time to the things that they need you and that are a priority for you whether that's bringing your kids to school, being there for all of the concerts or being there on the weekends. There are ways that you can be there professionally as well as be there for your children. And she is an excellent example of that. So she shares with us how she has done it and how she's prioritized in her life and how she's really designed her life so she can have both. And then has gives us the most favorite things on the aesthetics today, what makes the biggest impact and some of her favorite products and procedures and therapies. So with that, let's get into it with Dr. Jennifer Levine of Dr. Jennifer Levine Practice in Manhattan, New York. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Checkable Health Podcast. We are continuing our plastic surgery, our experts in plastic surgery. And today I'm so glad to have Dr. Jennifer Levine with me. Dr. Levine, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Dr. Levine is a double board certified surgeon, which our surgeons that we have on this series, all of our surgeons are double board certified, which from my side of the table of being in healthcare, I think really makes a difference. Not only is she certified by the American Board of Facial 
plastic and reconstructive surgery, but also the American Board of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery, which from my background, I worked with otolaryngologists and when I sold high-speed drills. And that is a very, very unique skill set that you have in terms of all of this work up here. So very trusted and lots of schooling, Dr. Levine. How long did you go to school for all of this? Well, you have to go to college, so that's four years. And I had four years of medical school. Then I had two years of general surgery, four years of otolaryngology, and a fellowship in facial plastic surgery. And how did you go from otolaryngology to facials? Did you know that you wanted to do facial plastics eventually? 25% of otolaryngology is facial plastic surgery since you're in the head and neck. So 25% of your training, at least, and in my case, more than that, was in the aesthetics of the face. So I was very fortunate to do a lot of my training at Manhattan Eye and Ear, which is like the home not only of ENT, but also of plastic surgery. So I had a lot of plastic surgery in my initial training, and then I just did an additional fellowship. Excellent. And you're known as one of the foremost leaders in facial plastic surgeries. And in Manhattan specifically, I mean, there's so many to choose from, but you you just Google your name and you are at the top, Dr. Levine. That, that is that that's not an easy feat. And fifteen over fifteen thousand procedures. Is that what I Yeah. Well I've been here a long time. So it started to add up. That is so cool. Well tell me about your practice. So I'm very lucky to practice on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And we just recently opened up our very own operating room. So we expanded and we have sightings across the hall. So we have our own fully accredited operating room with recovery room. And it's really like beautiful and makes our patients feel very comfortable. And then we also have additional treatment rooms because in addition to doing surgery, we also do non-surgical procedures for the face and body. So we do anything from Botox to lasers to devices like M-Sculpt Neo or M-Face or all kinds of different things, all therapies. So we have like the best in technology available at our office. That is incredible. And you are, so you're an owner operator. You're vertically integrated surgeon now. Yes. That is really, really cool. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Now, to be that driven, Dr. Levine, I'd love to talk about that personal drive that you have as a woman. You also are a mother. Yes, I am. I am a mother of two young women. So we are really into uh, female empowerment. And I really feel that you know, women uh, should be given all the opportunities that men are. And I'm here to empower not only my generation of people, but the generations to come because there still is a lot. There still is a glass ceiling and there's lots of obstacles, both for women in business, women in medicine that we haven't quite broken through yet. But I'm confident that we will. And it's people like you that are really blazing the trail And we have to really get that out there that there are opportunities here that it's putting in hard work. I would say just going back to all of that, all of your education, the amount of years that you invested in yourself, it's definitely 
doable. It's so great to have you as that example. Yeah. But what we know is that let, even in my medical school class, there were 50% of my class or maybe like 49 and 45% were women. And we're training women surgeons and women plastic surgeons, but there's a huge step off after the training. So the women are being educated to do these jobs, but yet there's only like 10% of women that are chairs of departments. And there's much less women on advisory boards or on advisory boards of journals or writing articles or on the podium. So we still have a way to go. Because right now, even though we're training our classes of residents might be 50% women, only one in five are practicing plastic surgeons are women. So there still is a big discrepancy of what happens to women because they're certainly educated, they're certainly qualified, but there are still so many barriers to translating that education into real life that there is a huge step off. So that's, I, I think that even though we were con- we're, we've made progress, our progress has gotten curtailed in certain areas and we still have to work on it. Do you think that that has to do with us as women and as mothers that we are unwilling to sacrifice one for the other? Or do you think it is uh, barriers as our gender that we're not able to overcome? I think that there certainly is a gender bias that probably is absorbed by certain women that makes it difficult to accept the fact that you can both be a mother and work. So there is that underlying uh, misogyny that we're probably indoctrinated with at a very early age that says, oh, well, you're not going to be able to have a successful career and be able to raise your children so that they'll be safe and happy and that you are going to have to sacrifice your own professional goals in order to do so. And I'm not sure that that's correct. So I think that that probably plays a role. I think that because it is a hard path to navigate after you leave your training, that it almost is the path of least resistance is that you kind of say, okay, well, I know I want to have these children and maybe I don't need to pay as much attention to these professional goals because I have these other goals and I don't quite know what to do. I'm not sure, but I don't think that men are told that they are going to have to stop their professional goals because they're fathers. Right. No one would be like, oh, you have children, so don't pursue your career. That's not a mess told to men. Why are we getting that recording? Yeah, it's not even an option for them. Right. No one would dream of saying, oh, well, don't pursue your professional career because you're a father. So it doesn't make sense. How have you done it, Dr. Levine, with having this high-powered, just really in-demand clinic and you continue to scale it? Then you have your daughters, your family. How have you managed your time? Take a seven-day week. Do you have any things that that you've put in place that have worked well? I think that what I put in place that works well for me is I work very close to my home. So Mm -hmm. to walk to work, my children were able to walk to school and 
I could get quickly to their school if I needed to, so that both ensure that I wasn't spending time commuting and that everyone could get where they kind of had to go. So I could maybe drop my kids off or pick them up maybe once in a while. So I had that ability. And then I think that at least for me, even though I continued my practice, I didn't engage in some of the activities initially that I'm doing now. I didn't go, I didn't attend as many. So I didn't speak at as many meetings. I didn't, you know, write as many articles. I didn't do any, I did less of those things, both because it takes time to do all those things and because it does take time and effort to raise children. And I wanted to be physically present for that. You can do both. You just really have to be thoughtful of, I want to be present for them. So this is how I'm going to remain present. I'm going to work closer or I'm going to not participate in some things. But that doesn't mean like forever you have to do that because now you certainly have. Right. And it's not forever. Your children are only small for, for a short amount of time. But that doesn't mean I would say that you still want to be. I have girls. So it's also mm-hmm. my be a role model to them and to say, no, you can you can do whatever you want. The sky's the limit. There isn't something that you can't do or that you should do because you're a girl. So I think it's not also what you say as a parent, it's what you do. It's your actions that really speak to your children and let them know what your values are, what you hold important and what the more standards are. And I think that is also important. And that being a mother is amazing. That's I I love to tell my kids that I love having a family. I love being a mother, but that didn't mean that I couldn't also be in business. Right. It doesn't stop you from doing other things. Being having children does not negate your ability to be successful in other aspects of your life. Exactly. So let's talk about this of of the type of, um, I'm really intrigued with some of the procedures that you offer. And as we think of, we're in the middle of the country, but if you look at Manhattan, if you look at LA, Miami, I mean, this this is where there's the most uh, fluence, there's the most opportunity that you are able to do more procedures and you you have the latest and greatest technology as well. So I was really interested in some of the things that you're offering from, so you're doing from the shoulders up, correct? It's all face. Surgery, but we also do a lot of invasive procedures on the body. So really we have a equipment that's non-invasive for the body that treats whether it's fat or skin texture and tone or cellulite, all sorts of issues below the juju those treatments as well. From those type of treatments, what is the most popular and what are you seeing as the best? So I would say right now, our probably our most popular body treatment would be something called M-Sculpt Neo which provides something called HIFEM, which is these uh, synchronized electromagnetic simulation combined with radio frequency. So what it does is it causes something called a supra-maximal contraction. So it makes the muscle contract more than it could if you were doing your max, you know, your biggest setup or whatever. 
So for a 30-minute cycle, it's going to cycle between simulating the muscle and then tapping out the lactic acid. And it's basically, you're going to do four treatments spaced one week apart. And it's like the equivalent to like 16 weeks of HIIT training. Oh, so it's 20 crunches in 30 minutes. It's about a 30% reduction in fat, about a 25% increase in muscle mass. It also helps with, if you've had children before, it helps with the diastasis recti, that separation that you can get after children. So there's about a 20% increase in that. So it's a very effective treatment that doesn't have any downtime. It's very safe. And it gives you about a six centimeter improvement in the circumference of your waist. So it's, it's, oh, that's so interesting. Wow. And you can do other body parts too, but it's very, it's a great treatment. And is this something that you should budget for that you should do every two years and just continue on with the therapy? I think that a lot of our patients really like the treatment. So it's something that you could do some maintenance for. So I'm not to do all four of the treatments, but you might think to want to do one every so often just to maintain your results. Now, I have never heard of cosmetic fillers and the more widely known liquid facelift. Like I've never heard of this before. What is this? Is this just terms of Botox and or is this something different? The idea of liquid facelift is basically combining procedures that are non-surgical to give the face a more lifted effect. So whether we're using traditional fillers that you're aware of that are based on hyaluronic acid, and there are other calcium-based fillers that also help reduce collagen. There is a PLLA, which is also known as Sculptra, which also does like panfacial volume. So these products also improve skin quality and give you a little glow and give your face something called volumetric support. So kind of if you could imagine as we get older, we become a little more like a raisin than a grape. So that's the idea. But it's also using our neuromodulators in ways that we help diminish the effect of the facial muscles that are depressors and focus on elevation. We also have treatments like M-Face, which is going to elevate the eyebrows as well as the corners of the mouth or like all therapy, which is micro-focused ultrasound. That's going to treat those two treatments would treat the same layer of tissue than you would lift if you were doing a facelift. And these are just ways to non-surgically target that. Oh, that's very interesting. What was that last one that you were saying? It What layers of the skin does it treat? So it's treating something called the SMAS or submuscular aponeurotic system, which is the, it's a layer of connective tissue that surrounds the muscles of facial expression. And that's a layer that you're really repositioning if you're doing a surgical facelift. Okay. So we know that this layer kind of attenuates or gets more saggy and is also attached to other ligaments, which attach to the skin or to the bone. So we're kind of wanting to reposition that layer because it's not only what's happening to the skin or what's happening to the fat pads of our face, it's also these deeper layers of tissue that make our faces look older. I read about a non-surgical rhinoplasty. Could you tell us about that? So a non-surgical rhinoplasty, it can either be done with filler or it can also be done with threads, but it's a way to improve the appearance of the nose without surgery. Oh, wow. So if that's something, then it, you don't, I'm assuming there's no downtime with that procedure? 
on time with that procedure. It just does something different than surgery does. So adding things, if we're adding filler, if we're adding threads, when we're doing a surgery, it's usually if you have a bump, we're reducing it or making something smaller. You can also add it to surgery. But when we are doing a non-surgical rhinoplasty, we're using filler or threads, either like lift the tip or camouflage a bump, but in a way that would be a little bit different than if we were doing surgery. Interesting. Now, will you tell me about from friends that have had procedures done that they've first done the eyes up and then as they've aged, then they do like sort of the, maybe it's the chin up. So I'm 42 and looking at, okay, what do you do as you age? And what are some of the ways that when someone comes in that you sort of analyze, like if you're just trying to understand, you didn't have a mom that had plastic surgery and you don't have friends either that have had it. Right. So when somebody comes to see me for a consultation in my office, we always do a full face analysis. So of course, I always have the patient like look into a mirror and kind of tell me what is bothering them the most, because I want to get from the patient as to what their concerns are. Then I take photographs of the patient in five different views. So a frontal view, profile views, three-quarter views, because most of the time we're looking at our face and we're looking at our face from the front. But a lot of times when people are looking at us, they don't only see our front view. They see us from the side or slightly turned. So it's important for the patient to see how they look from these other views. And then we, when we assess the patient, we always assess the entire face. So the first thing that we're going to look at is the shape of the face. At symmetry, we're going to look at the different thirds of the face or the vertical fifths and kind of assess where there is balance or imbalance. And then we are going to formulate a plan that's going to address all the different layers of the face, the skin, the subcutaneous tissue, the mass, muscles of facial expression, so that we have a cohesive plan. Because whether we're doing a surgery or non-surgical procedures, in order to obtain a balanced result, we have to look at all of the elements of the face and make sure that all of the elements of the face fit together. So when you have a younger patient, often, as you said, there may be one part of their face that's aging sooner, like the eye, very thin skin. They might notice changes there. Other people may notice changes in their neck first. It kind of can depend on the person. By the time they get to their 50s or 60s, there's probably aging in all of the areas. So you want a plan that's going to make all those parts fit together in a way that makes the person look natural. So if you have somebody that their eyes are fully rejuvenated, but their neck belongs to a different decade, that's going to not look cohesive to someone who is looking at that person. And they'll say, oh, it's different. So we don't want people to be able to point out plastic surgery across a restaurant. Right, right. Why the person to just look good overall. And that has to do more with facial balance. So there isn't, it's not like a one size fits all thing. So we want to have a plan that's going to really make that person look their best. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like it that you first ask them what's bothering them. And then, okay, where, where is it that you start? And then you have to have the symmetry 
want to have symmetry, but also most everybody is asymmetric. So you also yes, know the person to be aware that that asymmetry was not caused by the procedure. That we all have oh, right. certain asymmetries, and it's important to notice them before you do a procedure. All, all the wise olds, and they're like, oh, that eye looks different. But you want to, yeah, asymmetries because we all have them. That's normal. That's fair. But you That's fair. notice them because once you do a procedure, you will spend a lot of time looking for yourself in the mirror. So you're aware. Oh, look at that. Yes. Every close detail, I'm sure, yes. is like, this moved and that moved. Yeah. Why isn't this exactly the same? For sure. My husband is blessed with a very asymmetrical face. And it's very annoying to me because I'm like, your nose, how's it so straight? How are your eyes? So, but when you look at, when you look at people and they, it's just, that's so normal to have, you know, one eyebrow is up and one is yeah. down, but that's the uniqueness of who we are, right? Yes. We can't switch. We can't change. You can't change everything and make a whole change of the broad brush, right? So the last thing I wanted to ask you was from the individual and looking more natural, what are some of the simple things that you recommend as a professional, as an expert, that if someone is looking and has a budget, and let's just say it's not even a modest budget, they have a nice budget, but what are some some things to start with that you would recommend? Well, I think one of the most successful procedures in general would be Botox. And the reason we're doing Botox isn't because we want to try to get rid of blinds and wrinkles, but when we're looking at something like the forehead, the forehead has four muscles that depress the brow and only one that elevates it. So it's in the best interest to kind of reduce the depressive aspect so the brow doesn't get too low. Similarly, that the platysma muscle, which is a muscle in the neck, is a depressor of the lower face. So having some neurotoxin in that area is also going to reduce the depressive aspect of that muscle, and it's going to make it look better for longer. So that would be something that's both make you look better and is going to prevent further aging. I think it's also good to invest in some form of biostimulation. So we have a lot of procedures that make your body produce its own collagen and elastin. Uh, we know starting in the mid to late 20s that our collagen production and our elastin production starts to go down by at least 1% per year. And the collagen that we make is less organized. So whether we're doing a biostimulatory filler or we're using some of the devices like Altherapy or Emphase Neo, Emphase to cause the body to produce the collagen and elastin and reduce some of the effects of aging. So that's what you want to kind of do. There's, oh, I didn't know about this. What, what were you saying? Neurotoxin? So Botox, Discord, Daxify, ZMN, all of those things. Yeah. So and this, this muscle pulls everything down. If we reduce that, it's not only going to make the neck look smoother, but it's going to reduce the aging process in the lower face. That is so interesting. So those are just some important things to think about. And obviously, these are procedures for people who want to do these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. But if, if people are happy with the way they are looking, Everybody has their own choice. They don't have to do any of these procedures if they don't want to. This is a choice. 
So for people who want to understand that we're at the point in science where we understand anatomy and we have treatments that are very safe and successful and producing some positive changes. And, and if people want to experience those, that's great. And for those of people who don't feel the need, that's certainly their right. And they should, everyone should feel good about themselves and their choices. Oh, definitely. You should only do it to make yourself feel better. It's not to project. Make yourself feel better. This is like, if this is something that you want to do, that's great. And it's not something that you want to do. That's, that's great too. I completely agree. This was one I just congratulations on being in a hyper hyper competitive market and really rising to the top and having your own practice and and most importantly all of the patients that you have served in your position. That is amazing that you are so successful. So I appreciate you taking time out of your practice to join us. What is a way that our audience can follow you? So you can follow me on social media at Dr. Jennifer Levine or on my website, which is drjenniferlevine.com. Wonderful. Dr. Levine, it was so nice to talk with you. Great to meet you. Thank you for your words of inspiration too, um, for all of those women out there that are listening um, that aspire to do something more with their lives, but yet have uh, a family. You prove that it definitely is possible. Oh, it is possible. It's not easy, but possible it is. It's not, yeah. And there's nothing that's easy that comes with wonderful reward, right? It's true. That's true. I mean, yeah, we don't need it, but we need it to work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again, Dr. Levine. And everyone, thank you so much for joining us on the Checkable Health Podcast. And we will see you next time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Checkable Health Podcast. If you want more information, head over to checkablehealth.com for show notes, links, and resources mentioned in today's podcast please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to get all of the Checkable Health at-home healthcare details as soon as they're released. Find us on every social channel at Checkable Health. Cheers to living your healthiest and happiest life.